Welcome to Latitudes in Session Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Bush, and today I have a special guest on. I have a guy that I met in 2019, about August of 2019, and we ended up scouting together a ton and hunting together that year quite a bit, and it just evolved into this friendship. You know, my best friend now, uh, but we've been going on for four years now of hunting and scouting and talking deer every day, and it's been awesome. He's a guy from West Virginia. He kills a bunch of top tier deer in the state and he does it very efficiently. He's very analytical. So I think that he has a lot to offer the podcast and he's also going to be the new co-host. So, uh, thanks for coming on, Ethan. Yeah. Thanks Jake. It's been, uh, it's been a really awesome, you know, four years, like you said, um, being able to mesh with someone that to bounce so many high level ideas back and forth. Um, we don't really do anything except talk about hunting, which is kind of the way I like it. <laughs> so yeah. I completely agree. And like you said, iron sharpens iron. And it's been really nice having somebody that's just very high level and analytical and detailed in what they do. And, you know, you help me out a lot. Like we've, like you said, pinged ideas off each other. I know that I've killed a couple deer because of we've talked about the hunt the night before or even that day yeah. of, hey, I'm going to go in here. And sometimes you're like, I think you're crazy. And sometimes you're like, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Let's get after it. But uh cool little story. So I killed that 186 in 2019, that second day. And I called Ethan up and I texted you before I even went out and told you I was going out. And he told yep. me I was nuts because it was hot out, right? But uh but I called him up right after I killed that deer and he drove what, four hours at the three time? Three and a half or three, four yeah. hours, yeah. Left work. Drove down there to help me drag it and I was still dragging it when you got there. I was yeah. like a sponge. It was hot day out. It was pretty <laughs> bad, but yeah, he helped me drag it and throw it in the back of the Jeep. And that was kind of the start of the, you know, the real good friendship, if you ask me. I mean, that was like, like we spent a ton of time together after that. We rut hunted Ohio. We chased deer around. So, so it's been an awesome four years. I'm really excited to have you as a host on the podcast. I think that there's so much that you can offer everybody between our weekly updates that we're going to do and then just, you know, diving into tactics as well. So yeah, it should be, uh, it should be awesome, man. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'm glad to be a part of it. And I there's very few things that I like talking, like more than talking about hunting. So I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it for sure. Yeah, me too. Well, let's get right into it, Ethan. Uh, I want to start out by just kind of introducing who you are, how you got into hunting, and how the passions build up to the point that it's at over the years. Yeah, so you know, like you said at the beginning, I have lived in West Virginia my entire life. Um, which is obviously not a big buck state. I got started just like many people do at a young age. Uh, my grandfather introduced me to hunting. I shot my first deer when I was 11 with a rifle. Um, it was just a small five point. And, you know, that was, that was 15 years ago now. And it's just, it's developed into more than a hobby, more than something I like. It's, it's truly developed into my entire life and who I am. And, you know, I don't, don't say that to be dramatic, but it's, it's true. If someone asked me to describe myself in one word, it would be hunter. And, uh, it is truly all enveloping of my entire life. Um, everything I do relates to it and there's nothing that I love more, which is why every single day I push harder and harder to be, you know, not necessarily better than anybody else, but just be the best you know, hunter that I can be for myself, um, which goes back to surrounding yourself with people like yourself 
that like you said, you know, I, I always say iron sharpens iron. And it's like, if you surround yourself with those people, they're going to make you better. You can make them better. Um, but yeah, my story, you know, like I said, 15 years ago, I shot my first deer and over the years, I've just done everything I can to gain as much information, learn as much, learn from people that have found incredible levels of success before. Um, I think it really started later in high school. It's funny now. I'm sitting here uh, recording this podcast with you, you know, looking to be a co-host on a, a hunting-related podcast. I was the first person that I ever knew in my personal life to listen to a podcast in general. And it opened up a, an awesome world of opportunity and information for me at a younger age to, you know, try to develop my own skill set uh, based off the information garnered from other experts, if you will. Um, and that was that was kind of like my information age, you know, from that, I would say 17 ish years old. I was pretty young. I just dove headfirst into it. And I, I said, you know, this is this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. And I want to be the best I can the best I can be at this. So I started just digesting as much information as possible, podcasts, articles, forums, videos, talking to people and just hunting as much as I physically could, you know, high school into college. Um, I started killing some pretty good bucks for the area that I live in. But like looking back now, I think that the majority of that was time in the woods. It was just, I kind of have a, an idea of what I'm doing and I'm just out there so much that like you have to eventually kill one. You know what I mean? Yep. And I think in that phase of my, my personal development, it was, I'm really trying to put the exact information and the exact tactics of all these other guys into play and it worked you know i killed good deer um good deer every year you know there would be one buck that just seemed like that impossible ghost you know it's like you you're not you're not, you're not gonna kill him you know like you'll kill you'll kill a nice buck yeah. every year if you're if you're doing this and you kind of know what you're doing and you're putting in the time um and i did that for years and really it's it's very funny timing because the year that you and I met 2019, I feel like was the year that changed. It was kind of my pivotal point in my own personal opinion for me, because that's when I kind of, you know, there had been probably five years or so of, of consistently killing one to two good bucks per year. And, um, at that point it really turned into I'm going to try to figure out how to develop my own style, my own skill set. And I'm going to tailor this specifically to where I hunt, the bucks that I hunt, and the way that I like to hunt. Because if you listen too closely to what everyone else says, you're not hunting where they're hunting. You're not hunting the deer they're hunting. You know, you have different skill sets. You may enjoy hunting in different styles. And all this plays into the potential for success in my opinion. So that pivotal moment was, like I said, when I started saying, okay, I'm going to take this information, but with kind of a grain of salt and I'm going to start applying it to the deer that I'm hunting. And you know, that year I, at, at that time in 2019, I killed the biggest buck I'd ever killed at that point. 
Um, just, you know, a really, really solid deer for where I live. You know, he's a, he's a mid one forties, nine point, you know, 21 inches inside. Um, and, and for the area that I live is a incredible deer, you know, very, very high level. And I'll be honest, like at the time I kind of thought like, man, I finally did it. Like I finally killed one of those ghost bucks and, and I shot him on opening day. And that, and that was also the kind of the start of like my early season success. And when we met, you know, I had not had much early season success and you had, and that's another thing that like, I was primarily a rut hunter and you were primarily an early season hunter. Yeah. And over the last couple of years of us, you know, really just being such good friends and, and bouncing ideas off each other, you know, 364 days a year, it seems like, um, I have turned into a far, far more successful early season hunter and you have had success in the rut. So again, it goes back to iron sharpens iron. Um, but anyways, from 19 until, you know, currently in 2023, I've found a level of success that I honestly previously would have doubted possible. And it's, it's almost a somber feeling to say that because it's, it's certainly not braggadocious in any way possible because I don't care what I killed or what you killed last year or the year before, you know, it restarts at zero every year. And that's what I thought in 2019 after I killed that buck. And in 20, um, I killed two bucks in 2019. And then in 2020, I shot, um, I shot three bucks. Um, at the time, one of them was, I shot three bucks in 2020 and they became three of my four biggest bucks all in one year. Um, and I shot them in, uh, shot two of them on one of them was opening day. The second one was, uh, three weeks later on my second hunt of the season. So two hunts, two bucks. And then I think the next one was maybe six or seven or eight hunts into it um, after that specific deer. And that was a ghost deer that I, that I caught up with. So 2020 was kind of like the whole man, like, wow. You know, like I didn't just kill one of them. I, I killed three of these level bucks. And again, that's, it's somber almost to, to say that and think about, cause it's just insane to me. Um, but like that success has repeated itself. You know, 2021, I killed two awesome deer um 2023 i've killed three awesome deer in this region of the country and then killed three more bucks in texas on a impromptu hunt and you know it's just exploded man and like from 2019 to 2023 to, to have that success it i look at it and say what has worked for me and you can look at, like, I can look at you and like, you're extremely successful and I respect you at a level that I respect anybody else in the hunting community. And like your style and my style are different. You know, we don't have the same. 100%. We, yeah. We can look at something similar, similarly, but we'd never look at anything the exact same. And it's cool to see that. And yet we get the same results. But if you hunted with my style, you might not get the same results or with there would be a learning curve right and i think that the cool thing about your story is it it resembles mine quite a bit where it does you know as a as a young kid i wanted to be really good at this and 
I'd kill good deer, but I was never killing like the ghost buck like you talked about. I love that because that's exactly what it was. There was always a couple deer that just couldn't figure out. And I might dumb luck into one every couple of years, but it wasn't consistent and it wasn't very efficient. It was like you're grinding it out to kill that deer. And I got into whether it's the infault videos or, or all of this, all the podcasts that are out there. Same thing as you. I might have been the first person I knew of to listen to a podcast. Mm-hmm. Like I saw a post for it somewhere and I was like, what is, what is this? And I jumped on, listened to it. I was like, this is a gold mine. Like it's teaching me everything that I need. And at the time I thought, well, I'm going to take all that information. I'm going to go kill a deer. But what I realized shortly after that is that's not how it's going to work. I'm going to have to take tidbits of that and mesh it with my own style in the area I'm in and just get really good at it. And it's going to take a lot of time. And the more people that you listen to and the more voices that you hear, the, the more you're going to pick up. And I would say that most people listening to this podcast are going to take one little light bulb moment from it and utilize that. And that's exactly what it's about. You're not going to listen to a podcast and gain tons of knowledge from just one podcast very often. It's going to be like the little light bulb moment. And I feel like we both did a really good job of taking those little light bulbs and meshing them into our own style and becoming fairly efficient at killing deer. I mean, you're more efficient than I am. You're you are unbelievably efficient. And I got to see that evolution. When we first met you, I remember we almost got in an argument about it because I was an early season guy and you're like, well, I'm a rut guy. Like rut is when I kill my deer. And like we scouted that first week and you were looking for more like rut funnels and stuff. And part of that was to like to do with the out of state thing, but I could just tell that that was your style. And then all of a sudden you come out that year and bam, you kill a good one. And then you've killed numerous deers. I mean, countless deer in the last well out of those four years i've shot a buck on opening day three of the four years and the one that i killed this year was the fourth day of season yeah so four years in a row within four days of season i've shot something yeah and just that efficiency throughout the year too whether it's a rut situation whether it's late season you've you become really efficient and i think that a lot of that has to do with just the the finite details of your hunting style and just being really analytical and I mean, you have laser focus. And so those are things that I think you're going to bring to the podcast. And it's going to, it's helped me tremendously with my own style. Like you said, I've become kind of a rut hunter almost. Like I've killed a couple of deer in the rut since we met, which is totally outside my wheelhouse. Right. I kind of love that. So another thing from an outside perspective that I think I've seen that's helped your efficiency quite a bit is you're dabbling in the Western world now. And you have short hunts, short time frames to get out there and try to get on an animal and kill it as quickly as possible. Do you want to cover that a little bit? Yeah. Since you and I met, I've really, really dived into hunting out West. Um, I do multiple trips a year for usually multiple species. And, uh, you know, that's a whole other thing. It's a whole other learning curve. And, you know, in the last four years, my whitetail information consumption has really cut back and my Western information consumption has exploded to the level of which, you know, I was with whitetail years ago. Um, and I'm seeing the same thing, Western hunting. It's like, you're listening to all these people and you're taking information at face value, but it's really not until you do it a lot and you can say, Oh, that's what that guy was talking about in that podcast. Like, Oh, this is what he meant. Like, this is what, that's what that mule deer does on these conditions. You know what I mean? Or like, Oh, okay. Now I see like I'm in this area and this is where we find all the elk sign. And it's like, okay, the light bulbs start to click. It's like, you have to be out there doing it to really figure it out. Um, and you know, I'm not going to say at all that I'm efficient 
hunting out west right now. <laughs> um, I mean, I've found some success. Don't get me wrong, and I've I've had some really epic hunts. Um, but when I compare, like my competency, if you you know, if I had to say anything about that, it's like I feel like I know what I'm doing, and I'm I'm putting in as much time as I can. I'm back in that stage where it's like I'm starting to find success. But it's definitely not next level animals and it's definitely not at, you know, almost a guaranteed consistency. Um, and what I feel like it did for me was it actually made me more efficient back home in the whitetail woods. Because here's the deal. <clears throat> I told myself, I really want to pursue these dreams of hunting out west for all these different species and all these different wild places. Well that involves being gone a lot, you know, and you just, you can't take vacation for a whitetail hunt now. You know, now I'm using all my vacation for being out West. I can't hunt as much cause I'm, I'm gone. I'm, I'm not here. You know what I mean? Um, I can't in season scout as much as I possibly could cause I'm not here. I can't preseason scout as much cause I'm not here. Um, so it was really, kind of a crossroads for me it was like you've got two options you either accept less success on whitetail to spend all your time hunting out west or you just explode in efficiency and maintain your level of success which i think it's actually went up which is crazy while chasing the the western hunts so for me that's it was an easy decision for me to make. You know, I think anyone would say, obviously, you want to maintain success. Yeah. Um, so I started really, really diving into that. And, you know, it it comes down to scouting for me. It comes down to scouting and it comes down to um, intimacy with the land and the deer themselves. Um, so, you know, that that's... That's kind of what spurred me becoming what I would say is, you know, pretty efficient. And, you know, you want to just dive right into like some of the tactics that I think give me some of those efficiencies? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean, I've seen you work honestly less at Whitetails and become more efficient. And the question that I have is from the Western world, what things have translated for you? And how are you taking those tools that have translated and shifting them over to the whitetail world to become more efficient. Like what, what types of things are you doing? Are you glassing more? Are you utilizing trail cameras more than you did in the past? You know, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. So I think, you know, as far as what I have learned from hunting out West so much and translating it back to here, it, it's maybe not as much that as it is the need to be more efficient with the time that I do have here because I'm out West. The one thing I will say tactics wise is I glass, I glass more than anybody I know on, on the Eastern side of the United States. Like, and I'm obviously a lot of guys do it. Um, but like me personally, I do not know a single person that I think glasses whitetails more than me. And I, don't either. and I live in West Virginia. Like we don't even have agriculture. We yeah. don't have ag. We barely have fields. You know, I'm hunting, hills and mountains and it's all timber you know it's like i'm glassing tiny little hay fields i'm glassing power lines like i will sit there watching from a mile away 
waiting for a deer to walk across a power line that if you're not watching in those five seconds, you don't see him. But if you do see him, boom, now you know where he's at. And, you know, so it's like, I mean, I, I glass way more than most people that I know. And that has helped me immensely because you can learn so much. You know, I've talked about this a lot before with you and with some other people, you know, especially early season. If you're glassing a buck in the summer, um, you can learn so much about a specific deer because you can observe him. A trail camera will tell you how big he is, maybe how old he is and where he is at a certain time. Glassing will tell you all of those things, but it'll also tell you how repeatable is he? You know, is he coming to the same field every single day or is he just a once off? Like he'll show up once every three weeks. Is he a dominant deer or is he subordinate? And I have seen old deer be subordinate. So it is not just an age class thing. And I've seen deer that are more social than other deer. Some deer, they, they want to be in the bachelor herds. They want to hang out with the, the crowd. And I've seen other deer and it's not strictly age dependent. A lot of people will say, yeah, well, like as they get older, they get more dominant and they get more reclusive from the groups. And like to some degree that is true, but I have observed enough deer that, you know, you learn about the specific deer. So the glassing thing has helped me a ton. And honestly, of the deer that I've shot early season, um, you know, like I said, I four years in a four years in a row I've shot a deer early season. One of those deer was not solely killed because of glassing, yeah. and the in the deer I'm talking about, I glassed him. So it's like all those deer I glassed, and um, at some point or another, the the one that I'm saying is not solely killed. He was more of a it told me where he was and then I had to, you know, kind of do some other tactics to figure out where to actually kill him. Um, but yeah, glassing is huge. So on the, on the glassing front real quick, what is the difference for you between summer glassing and in season glassing? Because I've noticed that like, yes, you do a ton of summer glassing and I do as well. And that gives you like, at least it gives me a little bit of information, but it doesn't necessarily give me the kill information. And where I think you're taking it to the next level from an outsider's perspective is you're glassing in season and like waiting for that exact moment to pounce. So how do you determine that? How do you take glassing a deer, whether it's the three days leading into season or actually in season and then say, okay, today's the day, because there was a couple times where I'm, you're telling me about glassing this deer, like you're sitting in a observation stand and you're like, yeah, he's out there going past that tree. And in my head being like super aggressive, I'm like, go kill that deer. You're like, oh, I got to wait two more days because I got the wind I need or whatever it is. Right. So how do you determine when you actually want to go in and pounce on that? Because it's easy to say glass, but how do you take glassing and turn it into an efficient tactic? Right. So you got to break it down by the time of year. Um, early season is by far my favorite because you've got two months to glass the deer every single day and learn him inside and out and then kill him opening day or four days into season one of the two um you know it's the best and it's kind of your most mainstream like you watch them all summer you develop a pattern and then you strike and you know that is kind of the cookie cutter answer and it's always harder than it seems but like it is the easiest of the times of year you know when you talk comparatively to other times where it gets a little more difficult is you know you get into that like mid-october 
time frame. And, you know, I know that you are, you're a much bigger October hunter than I am. Yep. I, I am an October scouter and I will only hunt if I'm like, yeah, I've, I've got it. And I have not killed a big deer in that mid October time frame. Um, I have had very close encounters and I have passed deer that I actually went in to kill. Like the one year, uh, one of the bucks hanging above us right now, he walked under me. That was October 12th, I think, something, 13th, somewhere in there. I went in to kill that deer the year before and uh, he came in at nine yards and I was like, yeah, he's not as big as I thought. At nine yards, he's not as big as I thought he was at 500 through the glass. And that was my first hunt for him and I passed him. So I've had opportunities, um, and what I'm doing there is I'm basically just running circuits. I'm glassing different areas, whether that be fields or pipelines or power lines or whatever, you know. And it's 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 like if you can find a deer in that time frame that's hitting a food source consistently, um, like I glassed that deer, he was hitting white oaks and you know um in some open hardwoods i could peer into and i saw him so i I went and set up and had my opportunity i've glassed year in mid-october still hitting uh green food sources on years that we have terrible mass production um years that we have terrible mass production i glass way more in october years that we have very good mass production i don't glass that much in october i'm more boots on ground trying to find hot sign in the timber so it's it's kind of food dependent as well um once you get into that late October through all of November, I'm still glassing a lot. And like most people will say, well, you, you got to be in a tree. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I'm trying to kill the, like the top 1% of bucks in my area. If I just go sit in a tree, I've got a 1% chance of that buck being in the area. Yeah. So it's like, you got to find the deer before you kill him. And a lot of the times I'll find them before then, but there have been deer that I have found. Okay. I found them uh, okay, two days later. Uh, no, they're dead. You know, like yeah. it's, and what I like to do there is I will just spend a ton of time glassing same stuff. You, I mean, you got to glass open stuff, obviously, but I change it a little bit. It's like, where is there a food source close to where I think a big buck might be living? Now I'm glassing food sources, but I'm not, he's not coming out to eat, right? Okay. Now I'm glassing him on a hot dough yeah. the last two days of October. And it's like, he's not leaving for the next day or two or three. He's right here. You know, that dough is not bedding a mile away from that food source. You know, she's going to bed anywhere from 30 yards inside the woods to, you know, maybe half a mile or so. So it's like you, you're changing wire glassing yeah so all right you glass that buck october 31st behind a doe coming out to a field what's your play eating better is easy with factors delicious ready to eat meals every fresh never frozen meal is chef crafted dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes including calorie smart protein plus which is the one i like and keto get started today and get after your goals discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 
and use the code WaypointPod50 to get 50% off. That's WaypointPod50 at Factormeals.com slash WaypointPod50 to get 50% off. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Just depends, man. Depends on the buck. Do I have history with the buck? Is is it just a brand new buck? What's the property? Is it public? Is it private? How pressured is it? What's the weather conditions on that day? I mean, sometimes I'll grab my bow and put a stock on him. I mean, like, I did that two years ago and I almost killed. I had him at 55 yards and I just couldn't get a shot, you know, before his doe busted me. And, you know, sometimes I'll stalk him. Sometimes it's like, Nope, cannot get in there, can't get in there tomorrow, can't get in there. And sometimes it's like, if you if you just can't get in there confidently in the next, you know, two or three days, then you just pick the lesser of evils. Because that it. deer is there right now. And like, you know, I always say that once you get in mid-season, everything shifts so dynamically. You get like a two or three day window on a buck in a certain area, from my experience, and you got to kill him in that window. And if you don't, then you got to refine him in the next window. And like a lot of the times, if you're hunting small parcels, you can't. So your example, I see a buck come out 31st, dog and a doe. First thing I'm going to look at, what's the wind doing right now? Can I go kill him right now? Do I have enough daylight? You know, like usually, probably not. So now I'm going to look at, okay, where'd he come from? Where, where do I think he was bedding? Where do I think that doe is bedding? Is he just kind of checking that doe or is that doe hot? You know, cause if that doe is hot, he might push her away from there. But if he's just checking her, that's what I like better. Cause it's like that doe's going to come back out tomorrow night. He's probably not going to push her away tonight, but that doe is going to come back out tomorrow night. And you know, if he's, if she's close, he's coming back. And like, if your wind's good, that deer's probably going to die, you know, but Again, that's a perfect world scenario. So it just depends, man. It it just depends on every variable. It's there's no cookie cutter answer to stuff, you know, and this is the thing that I try to tell everyone. It's like you make your decisions based on your experiences. And you don't have experiences unless you're out there a lot. And you know, you and I, we hunt a ton. And you know, like your answer might be different than mine. But, like, we both have a good chance of killing the deer, whether it's in the same way or different ways. Yeah, and I love that answer. And that was a very broad question, and I did that on purpose because I knew that your answer would be extremely analytical and detailed, which is exactly what I wanted. So that's that's exactly my point in having you as a co-host is that analytical mindset and the detailed approach. And, like, there is no cookie-cutter answer to any of this. And your, your decision is going to be made based off of a hundred different things going through your head in that moment to try to go in and kill that deer. So I love that answer. 
So to circle back on other tactics that you've kind of transitioned with into from the Western world back into the whitetail world, besides glassing, what else are you looking at? Trail cameras. Um, glassing and trail cameras, I kind of live and die by, honestly. And that, that goes back to, like, I hunt in a style right now where I am literally trying to kill the top 1%. You know, if you, if you sample 100 bucks, there's going to be, you know, one, maybe two, maybe three, depending on where you're at, that I'm willing to kill. And the, the other 97 to 99, I'm just not. So I've got to know the deer. Like, I've got to either glass him or I have to have a trail cam picture of him because, dude, I can find, like, I can hunt straight woodsman style, right? Just find signs, just find tracks. But the problem, and there's nothing wrong, I love hunting that style. And if I hunt in an area where there's a higher concentration of big deer, yeah, get after it, you know? But, like, hunting here, I can find the biggest track I've ever seen in my life. And I can spend weeks tracking this deer down. Like, literally weeks, you know? And I might find his tracks and find his rubs and and I get my opportunity and he's like a 97 inch seven point that's eight years old. And it's like, I don't want to kill that deer. I mean, it's cool cause he's old, but like, I don't want to kill that deer. You know, we have limited numbers of tags and you know, I want to kill, the, I want to kill the best deer I can. So it's really glassing and trail cameras, man. And like I said, I live in West Virginia. So my glassing opportunities are actually really limited. Um, so trail cameras are huge for me. You know, like if I find sign, I'm a, I'm a guy that if I find sign, I'm going to put a camera on it and then I'm going to check it and see what that deer is before I hunt him. And a lot of people will be like, why don't you just hunt him right away? And it's like, because I'm not hunting. I will not hunt unless I have a specific deer that I have already deemed to be in that upper echelon that I want to kill. If I don't have that, I am not hunting. I'm dropping a camera. And I'm, I'm moving on and I'm going to go scout somewhere else. I'm going to go to the next ridge or to another property and I'm going to maybe drop more cameras or I'm going to go check cameras that I dropped last week or I'm going to go glass and or something. I'm not hunting. Like it, I will not sit in a tree until it's like, that's the deer I'm going to kill tonight. Yeah. I love that. And I have the same approach. I mean, look at my year this year. I didn't kill and I didn't have a target deer for a long time and I just scouted and I'd move cameras and to me... It's not a woodsmanship thing. Like, I love that. I love having woodsmanship, and I want to build that as much as possible, like the best out there. And I think that's very important. But for me, cameras are the same as they are for you. It's literally an inventory thing, and I don't really want to know what the deer's doing based on that camera. I mean, if I get that information, great. But I'm not setting my cameras up necessarily for that information. I want to know the deer's there, which is why I put a camera in a hub, right? Because you put a camera in a hub with a scrape down there, you're going to know every deer in that system. And okay, now I know he's there. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to kill him. I'm going to figure out his food source. I'm going to find his tracks. I'm going to find his sign. I already know where his beds are at from the spring more times than not. My whole goal is to get the picture of that deer in the inventory and I'm going to figure out how to kill that deer. So you still need all that good stuff on the back end, especially if you want to yeah. do it efficiently. So you use cameras just like I do is the point of that. Like it's, it's an inventory thing. And then you're using your spidey senses and your experiences over the past and all this analytical you know, all this stuff going on in your head to go kill that deer. It's not necessarily cameras. So I respect that a lot. I think that there's something to be said about that. It can be a tough game. You know, I could have went out and this year said, okay, I'm going to drop my standards right off the bat, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not what I want to chase. 
So I could have said, hey, I'm going to drop the standards. I'm going to go in and hunt this hub and I'm going to kill a deer that comes down off of it. And I could have. I mean, I showed you pictures of deer. You're like, go kill that deer. And I'm like, oh, I'm not touching him. Yeah. Like, you definitely stayed steadfast yeah. to your, um, your standards, which I respect. Yeah. And I, that's it, just, it's my style of hunting I like. I like finding the biggest deer and chasing it because to me, it's the biggest challenge. Like I could have that 160 inch three-year-old, that typical 12 I sent you, I could have went and got close to that deer. I could have figured that deer out and I never once went in there to hunt that deer. Yeah. I left him completely alone because next year he's a deer I want to chase. Like he's that upper echelon, that kind of top 1% deer. I just, it's a, it's a, it's the chase, right? And we're both at that point where I think we want to efficiently chase the biggest deer we can. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that it takes away from wood, woodsmanship or anything else. I think it's just a different style. So next topic, uh, you're, you're going to be moving soon, man. You're going to be moving out to St. Louis, right? So yeah. how are you looking at your season this year? What are your thought processes? Are you doing any scouting in West Virginia? Are you going to run any cameras here? Or are you just going to say, Hey, I'm wiping the slate clean. I'm going to move to St. Louis in the summer. And what's your approach look like for the next three months leading up to season? Man, that's a really good question and one that I don't really have a great answer to. Um, yeah, I am planning on moving. I'm going to be in Missouri, which is obviously a bigger buck state. My plans are to only be there for one year max, which is unique. Um, and, you know, really quick before touching on moving there, it it's a an awesome moment was last November because I've lived here in West Virginia my entire life and I've had a number and I'm not a giant giant score guy um, but I've had a number in my head that I've wanted to crack in West Virginia my entire life like I said over the last four years I feel like I've gotten to this point where like you know I'm killing the ghosts and um, this deer I knew of him last year he absolutely blew up and um you remember I sent you those pictures in August. Oh, yeah. And he was we a were, giant. <laughs> we were like, oh, man. And, uh, yeah, that's a good example. I kind of monitored not the deer himself because it was a very, very tricky place to hunt, but I monitored the area. He showed up in mid-ish November, um, soft bumping a doe, and uh, got that intel, waited two I told you he's back, waited yeah. two days, went in, did an all-day sit, and that was the first day I ever hunted that deer and I shot him and, um, he, uh, is a typical 12 and he broke the number that I've always wanted to break. And he's the last buck I've shot in West Virginia and, and could be the last buck I ever kill in West. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. So it's like to lay the biggest goal I've ever had to rest on the last year that I hunt here is it's a really deep feeling for me it's it's bittersweet it really is does definitely has a bitterness to it as well as sweetness and that deer was well deserved and there's there, there's so many different things there right like you call me out and i come out and i take photos of that deer right. and it was just awesome we got beautiful photos of him he's a i mean huge frame typical 12 point like my dream deer pretty much and your dream deer right like yeah. we've always talked about yeah. the typical 12 so he's an awesome deer but uh the cool thing there, the thing that I really respect about you killing that deer is something that I just don't have in my own head yet. And it's your level headedness when you go into some of these hunts. So I'll tell you like my process, if I would have got that picture in July, if I would have got that picture, I'm sending you the picture. And I'm like, I'm killing that deer day one. And you're like, 
well, is he killable yet? Or are you just going to go in there and bump him out? And I'm a very excitable person. I get worked up and I get excited and my heart starts beating fast and I'm like, I'm going to kill that deer. And you know, it either normally when I get on a deer, like he's normally dead in like two or three days or he's bumped out of the county. There's really (laughs) two options because I just go in just swinging down, you know, breaking all the trees down and rolling around like an elephant until I knock into him and kill him or I just bump him out of the county. So to see that you didn't even target that deer, I mean, you basically set up some traps, right? Some, some camera traps and you stayed out of that area and didn't target that deer for two months a season almost. I mean, it was almost two months, right? And yeah, I got the picture in early August and I killed him in mid November. And, um, that was, and I had pictures of him the year before. Uh, he was a buck I didn't want to kill. He was one of those like, yeah, the man, that's a really good deer. But like, if you give him another year and he didn't just turn into what I thought he was going to turn into, he just absolutely blew up into, and he's the biggest deer I've ever seen in person in the state of West Virginia. Yeah. He's, he's an absolute giant. And so how did you stay level-headed though? Because like people look at that hunt from the outside perspective and I'm sure that a lot of people don't understand the efficiency there because it was mid-November. Like they think you've been hunting this deer for two months of your season, right? But you only hunted this deer how many days? I mean, it wasn't one, one day. <laughs> yeah. So you went, so you knew about this deer for 60 days in season when you could have went and targeted him and you waited for 60 days to go in and kill him on the first time you hunted him. What's the thought process that went into that? Like, A, why did you stay out of there? And B, what gave you, like, yes, we know you got a picture, but what other factors played a role in you going in and diving in after that deer? So really the biggest reason that I played it that way was this is a really small parcel. Um, I really had like one, maybe two spots that I could even hunt on this place that were of any, you know, that would produce anything at all. Um, and the one spot, you know, this was a historical thing too. You know, when he showed back up, I was like, I think I have a good chance of killing this deer. And I, I think I told you like, it's going to be somewhere in the 5th to 15th of November because the year before he was in that area a lot in that specific window, there was like a 10 day window that he was there a lot. And outside of that, he was sporadic. Well, this year, you know, I've seen this happen a lot. They get a year older. They're even more sporadic. They tighten up their program. So, you know, I I basically just monitor this area. I would glass areas around it. I had cameras and areas around it. I had cameras in that little place and I was just waiting. Um, I was, I was pretty sure he was not going to be there in any, you know, big way, early season, mid season. Um, I was really kind of like, man, he's going to show back up in November because that's what he did last year. And he did. He started showing up, started getting some nighttime pictures, like late October, early November. And I remember I was in, um, I got back from South Dakota on a mule deer hunt and, and checked it. And I was like, okay, he's starting to roll back in, but I'm not hunting it yet because he's not, he's not here. Well, and then, you know, I, uh, I shot one of my three bucks this last season on a Sunday and it was the 12th, I believe. And, um, I, I checked the camera. I, I shot that buck. I checked the camera that night, which I check cameras at night a lot again, cause it's just an efficiency thing. And it was like, okay, this buck is here. 
he's he's here now. Like he moved in today. Like I was probably in the wrong stand. I was in the wrong stand, but I still killed a buck. You know, so I killed that eight and I was like, well, I got to process this buck on Monday and the weather's not right. The wind's not right, but Tuesday looks good. So that's what I did. I just, I just held off. I knew Tuesday was the day and it was the November 14th. If, if I have my days and dates correct, um, so I processed that eight point on Monday and it, it rained Sunday night. I knew he's probably not going to smell me being in there to check the camera. And man, I just, I went in Tuesday, I hunted all day and at four o'clock here he comes trailing a doe and they ended up, I had that deer within 60 yards for two hours. And as he was coming in, my rangefinder died which I've never had a rangefinder die on me hunting, and I replace my batteries every year. The battery died as the biggest buck of my life is coming down the pipe, and I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" So in my mind, I'm like, "I'm I'm not risking a further shot," which, I, you know, I'm consider myself a fairly proficient archer, so like I would maybe shoot whitetails further than a lot of people comfortably do on regular basis. But without a rangefinder, I'm not going to because yeah, I don't know the exact yardage. And I can get close, you know, guessing, but I'm just not going to do that. So I'm like, I need him close to where, you know, I know he's, I'm, I know I'm killing him. So now I'm like, I've handicapped myself. I, I took over 50% of my effective range off when that rangefinder died. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So he's within 60 for two hours, just bedding down with this deer, this doe. Three other bucks are trying to breed the doe. He's snort wheezing and grunting and chasing them off and ripping trees up and making scrapes. And you know, what, what would happen is he would come bed with the doe at like 40 yards. And, but I didn't have a shot. The bucks would come, he'd get up, chase them off, snort wheeze, do all his show. And he would kind of make a loop around that doe. Well, He'd come by at like, I mean, it was like 30, 35 yards, dude. He did this three times. I can't, I'm like, I don't know if it's 30 or 35. And, and you know, it's like, I'm kind of shooting in these small windows. And it's like, unless I, you know, I had, this is something I'm really proud of. I had the discipline to not take those shots, um, not knowing the distances, you know, because if you're off by a few yards, you're either missing him or you're, you're hitting him bad or you're clipping a branch or, or something. And like literally the biggest deer I've ever seen in my home state three times under 35 yards passed by me and I'm not shooting. And, you know, finally the fourth time, like an hour before dark, those bucks come over, he chases them off and he does the loop again. Well, this time he makes a little bit wider loop, you know, yep. and he comes in 20, you know, I guessed him at 22 and I, you know, I recovered the deer the next day. Um, I shot him like right before dark and I just gave him time. I was, it was freezing. I just went in the next morning and I took a fresh rangefinder battery and it was 24. So I was two yards off on my guess. Um, I hit him, you know, basically right where I was aiming. He actually died literally like 150 yards from where I killed him. And it was just, dude, I broke down. I mean, just how everything played out and like the years of learning and the discipline in the moment and the, the restraint to not go in and ruin the area before the right day. And it's like, everything just hit me and it, you know, it was, it was probably the most emotional experience I've ever had as it pertains to hunting. And it's, 
It was a special moment. And then I called you and I was like, hey, we got to get some pictures. Yeah, was, <laughs> yeah, I was absolutely thrilled to get that phone call. I mean, seeing that deer in the ground, it was just like, I can't believe this thing came from West Virginia. So it was, it was really special, man. And that's a great way to go out of West Virginia. So, uh, so circle back around on right. Missouri now. Right. So how are you going to, what do you, I, you're going to have what, three months, four months when you get out there. So how are you yeah, going to so- take that three months and. So Kill man, I'm I'm moving there in the summer. So boom, no spring scouting, which is a huge cripple. Um, hurts so bad. I'm moving out there in the summer, and then you know, there there's still there's a lot of things up in the air. You know, with moving and 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 job stuff and and everything. And you know, I'm still trying to get out west a good bit. So it's like there's so much up in the air. And I'm only going to be there one year. So it's like, I can't build on this for years in the future. It's kind of like all in on this, on this year, this moment. And I in no way expect to have the efficiency that I have here. I in no way expect that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to trend what I've done here and say, what is really, really worked here? And I'm going to try my best to replicate it there where there's just bigger deer. And that's the thing is like, I don't, necessarily maybe need to kill the top one percent now i mean you're talking the top one percent of deer in missouri i mean you're talking Giant. giants yeah. you know what i mean and i don't need that especially if i'm just there for a year like i just want to kill a good deer you know like a really good deer um or two um but what i'm gonna do is when i get there my free time is gonna be spent driving around checking areas out you know like you said earlier spidey senses you know i I kind of have a spidey sense just after years of doing it of like, is this area going to hold good deer? And it's not always right, but like, it's usually close. You know, like if you're like, yeah, this is just bomb.com. Like there's going to be something there. But if you're like, this is trash, then you just move on. So I'm going to be just moving around, checking areas out. Um, I think my plan is to try to pursue private there um that's just going to give me another edge you know here in west virginia i've hunted a mix of public and private and you know i don't think that anyone can necessarily argue that like you typically i don't want it i don't want to say it's easier because it really comes down to parcel versus parcel but like in my experience i've typically had better consistency on private land yeah so with that being said, you know, I've got one year to make it or break it. So I'm going to try to pursue private. So, you know, starting in the summer through season, I'm going to be glassing, scouting. Okay. There's a good deer. I would shoot that deer. Look at the properties around there. Um, you know, knock, 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 you know, just, and you know, I'm going to be targeting smaller parcels primarily because I've found that they're easier to get access on. Um, and if you get access on a giant parcel, typically everyone else has access to it as well. And those end up being pressured harder than public sometimes. So yeah, that's my plan is, you know, I'm just, I'm going into this. This is all in season. Um, it's kind of like an out of state trip just for three months that I get pieces to hunt. So it's, it's really strange. I feel like if I was out there right now, if I could have moved there in January and I had all spring to, to scout, I mean, I feel like, I don't want to say slam dunk or anything, but, but, but man, it would help a ton. You know, this is just going to be new state, new terrain. Like I've never hunted the state. I've 
hardly ever hunted around ag. You know, it's, it's intimidating, honestly. And like, I, I don't know if I'm going to have too much success. I really don't. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to butt in right there. And I think that you are absolutely going to have, have plenty of success out there. I think that your detailed approach, analytical approach, like we keep talking about is going to just, it's going to do awesome out there. And it's just, it's really a matter of you getting out there and putting your feet on the ground. You know, I look at myself in 2019 coming down to Ohio in June, I moved down in June, right. And ran, I had like four or five cameras total, you know, you knew about every one, oh, but yeah. we had a couple cameras to run. We found a ton of deer and we had a lot of success that year, just solely from that hard headed mindset and just keeping the feet moving. And I know you're going to do exactly that. I know you're going to spend a bunch of time glassing. You're going to be traveling around trying to find a deer. When you find it, I think that that very dialed in detailed approach that you have is going to put you right where you need to be. So it's definitely intimidating moving out of state with a short time frame to scout and get ready, but I don't think you're going to have any problem at all. We'll see. I mean, like I surely hope that I find some some success, but uh, it's just going to be different. It's going to be difficult, and you know, I can I can hunt the public um, for sure, and there's good deer on public there. I mean, we both know guys that have killed really good deer on Missouri public. Um, I I tend to find that you have a greater success the closer you are to home as far as consistency because I like to just be so intimate with stuff you know if like I have a property that I've killed a lot of deer off of here over the last you know 10 or so years and I have glassed that property I don't know 30 45 times in season per season for 10 years and it's like you know, that, that level of intimacy is just incredible. Um, and I turkey hunted and I scout it, shed hunted every single year. It's one of my, you know, it's, I hunt a lot of different stuff, private and public, but this is, you know, one of my best friends owns a property here and, uh, I'm just so intimate with that entire property. I don't have that out there, but I want to do the best that I can to replicate that by having, okay, I have access to five small public parcels or private parcels and they're all within 30 minutes of my house you know which I don't even know where I'm gonna end up living out there right now so that could it's change up in the air. yeah everything's <laughs> up in the air so it's like dude to find success I have have to get hit the ground running when I get out there and that's what I intend to do um I intend to try to get access to some areas close to home um, I feel that I will be able to, and I feel that I will be able to get access to places that have quality deer on them. And if I don't, then it's like, then you just pivot, you know, there's, there's backups, you know, there are, there is a lot of public, you know, it could be as simple as like pick out some good looking public and, and, you know, it might be three hours away rather than 12 hours away, but it's just go sleep in the truck for two nights and hunt three days, just go pound it and try to learn it real quick. And, you know, those are kind of like my plan B options. And it's like, I don't know, man. I, I don't know my exact plan. It's, I know that's what I'm going to start with is I'm going to start glassing, trying to be like, okay, this area I think has good deer and then see what access I can get there. Um, and if I can't, cause it's never guaranteed then I've got plan B and I've got plan C and I've got plan D and I'm also trying to juggle Western hunting with this too. So you know, depending on how some things fall, there's a chance that there's a chance that I'm going to be on a lot of Western hunts this year. And there's a chance that I'm not going to be on a lot of Western hunts this year. So 
everything is up in the air right now, which is just so strange. You know, like if I was hunting West Virginia again this year, I would tell you like, yeah, man, I, you know, I kind of have, I don't, I have some deer that I know of that I can chase. Um, I'm going to be probably pursuing some access over here. There's this public piece that I haven't spent enough time in. I want to check this out a little more. I've got my fallbacks. Like I would feel extremely confident, but going out there, it's just, I don't, I mean, I, I don't feel that confident. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to find any success because I, I surely hope that I do. It's just, it's not the same. I don't have the intimacy that I have with most of the stuff that I've hunted here um, within an hour of my house here. So, And that's going to be an awesome adventure though. I mean, you're going to learn a ton. You're going to have new tactics. You're going to have, you know, you're going to, you're going to mold your style from what it is now to trying to figure out how to be successful out there. And then the next state you move to after that, you've got to redo it all again. So yeah. I think it's going to be an awesome journey, man. Um, we're coming up on about an hour here, so we're, we're going to wrap this thing up. But if people want to follow along with that journey this fall for you, where can they find you at? Yeah, honestly, the best and frankly only place to follow along is my Instagram. It's just my name, Ethan Eskew, with an underscore between my first and last name. Um, I typically... You know, if you look at it, it's just a kind of a gallery of deer <laughs> and other animals right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm surely going to be trying to post stuff there uh, with my western hunts and my whitetail hunting out there in Missouri. So hopefully there's some good stuff to throw up later in the year. Yeah, and you post great pictures, and I, I love following along with you. So thanks again for coming on man I think it's been an awesome show and I'm really excited to spend a lot of time recording podcasts with you as a co-host it should be a great time yeah it's gonna be fun I'm excited um like I said just going back to those days where you and I you know we were the some of the first people we knew of listening to this stuff to yeah. now we have developed our own style we are at a you know level of success if you will that we are maybe not fully pleased with because we all always want to get better, but we're at least happy with the, with the process and the journey we've already had. And now we're here being able to do our own podcast is it's kind of a cool feeling to look back on. 100%. I couldn't agree more. Well, Hey, then thanks again, man. And, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Jake. See you. All right, guys, that is a wrap for today's show. Thanks for listening. If you could go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a written review, I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Oh,